You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Rachel Housel Hall on the show with me again. She was here uh, a couple of years ago, and we talked uh, at the time about a new book that she had. They all fall, and uh, I'm, I'm super excited. They all fall down, and I'm super excited to talk with Rachel again. She has an, uh, another new book releasing called These Toxic Things, and when you're hearing this, Today's release day for the book, so you can go out and grab it. There's also going to be links in the show notes of this episode. Rachel, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm going to make this like a, a regular thing. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm excited to have you back. Um, Rachel, uh, you know, we, we chatted just for a second before we started recording, and, um, you know, uh, th- there's a there's been a pandemic that's happened since we talked what? last. I, I know kind of right <laughs> after we talked um, last time, the world went sideways. Yeah. Um, Talk about how they have, all fall down. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. How have yeah. things been going for you? I know your day job kind of has you in the thick of it. Um, yeah. How, um, how have things been going for you and your family? It has been, well, fortunately, we've all been happy and healthy in terms of uh, sickness so that's a, a great thing. Um, yes, my day job, I'm a fundraising writer with a large medical center out here in Los Angeles. And after uh, Left Coast Crime in 2019 was canceled, I drove from San Diego where the conference had been canceled and drove straight to work um, writing crisis communications, uh, fundraising materials. How? What is this thing called? COVID-19. I've been very busy. I've been very busy day job wise. Oh, um, but then I was have. very busy, you know, with my own novel writing. And that's sure. when I sold these toxic things to Thomas and Mercer. So it was a very busy year um, and a very creative year for me because that's where this story came out of. I have to ask you this, Rachel. Um, mm-hmm. How does being a, a mystery and thriller writer like you are, um, how does an actual pandemic, you know, the world is actually melting down around you. How does that affect the the kinds of stories that you tell and how does, you know, and 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 I've talked to a lot of people over the last several months and, and I wonder how um, COVID specifically, but just kind of this this mm-hmm. general feeling of unwellness, how that is going to seep into uh, because I don't know about you, Rachel, but I don't want to read anything about COVID-19. Um, but, you know, storytellers, they they filter the world through their writing. And, and, right, and, and yeah. we, we all kind of try to understand the world around us through the stories that we tell. Um, how do you feel like, uh, one, uh, that this pandemic and this time mm-hmm. that we've been through has affected your writing? And then what do you see for the future, uh, you know, of thriller writers? Yeah. Well, first, to answer to answer that, well, you know, crime and mystery 
is nothing but a, a story with unwell and uncertain things just sure. surrounding you. And for victims and families of victims, you know, it feels like the end of the world all the time. So in terms of the type of mood that these, that my stories, you know, usually follow, it, it, it makes sense that actually living through a pandemic informs my writing. If anything, you know, I, my fear is added onto, my uncertainty is added onto, my, my, you know, I'm scared for my family and my daughter and, you know, what's going to happen economically. And writers, we use all that and infuse our worlds with that. So experiencing something you never thought in 2019 would have happened, you know, this is just one more place to take information from and use it for, for writing. Because a lot of us writers, I know I do, we use writing as therapy. It's cheap, cheap, wonderful therapy. <laughs> and we work things out. And um, I do sort of mention uh, the pandemic and these toxic things because, you know, it's here. And I tend to write stories that kind of parallel real life. And right now, especially the early days of the pandemic, people were doing awful things to each other in the name of uh, quarantine and isolation. There are a lot of husbands, for instance, who are unfortunately abusing and killing their wives and saying, oh, well, she died of COVID. And no one questioned that because people were just dying. So we have to talk about that. Like, why are people, of course, using something like this to their evil advantage? So I, ha I have to write about it. It may not be a bald out and out COVID story, but elements of it will, um, they will find themselves in my pages. Well, one, one thing that's interesting is that uh, COVID has exposed a lot of things that were mm. already there. Yes. Um, but it, it's just been it, this uh, this magnifying glass for yeah. it, 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 it uh, like those situations you talked about, like they were already there and they things were already, were already brewing mm -hmm. under the surface. But boy, it yeah. just magnified it where everyone could see it. Yeah. And that is our realm. You know, that's what we do, that bubbling, nefarious what's what are they going to do and how are they going to plan that bad thing and now here's the opportunity you know it's a once in a lifetime thing and why not take advantage of it it's like people applying for the loans that they don't need but they were going to scam anyway just right. how were they going to do it and now here's this opportunity and that's a rich place for a lot of a lot of writers you know you can address some outrage you can address those things that, you know, trigger you and right. you know, readers are, oh, that was triggering. It's like, oh, it's a writer. It's triggering me too. That's why I'm writing about it. So <laughs> we can all figure out what this is and how we can stop it, how to spot it next time it comes. You know, I remember um, when 9-11 uh, happened, how the Pentagon and the government officials turned to writers to figure out, well, what should we do? What are they going to do next? Because especially, you know, the genre writers, we figure out these motivations and these plot lines and who else to turn to to help you learn what the what the response will be. So I think that's our job as writers to, to create these roadmaps for our readers and for the world to, 
you know, kind of navigate and expect the worst. And what do you do when, you know, the worst is coming? So, right. yeah, yeah. What What's interesting, Rachel, is that, um, you know, how um, a reader might ask you uh, or they might come to you and say, I know that this character is based on you. Um, you know, you're you're writing about yourself and you as the writer are thinking, no, actually, all these characters are me and yeah. there are pieces in every one of them. You just mm-hmm. don't realize it. You know, right. um, what's going to be funny <laughs> is that. Um, you know, uh, several years down the road, something might happen and you're absolutely talking about COVID, but there's, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're going to couch it in a way that helps you to deal with it. And, right. you know, uh, other people may see it or they may not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like my own Easter egg. Right. You know, it, it's, and, and again, you, you're totally right about every character has pieces of me in them. Um, that's one way to you know write well and write informed is you're a hero and a villain in someone's story and i said this um to you before when we were talking about they all fall down and miriam macy especially um no one is good and bad good or bad we're all shades of that and so yeah when writers are or readers come and say oh the good person that that must be you it's like yeah but that bad person the one who's thinking of ways of you know ending someone that, that's me too, especially if you catch me on the freeway during rush hour. <laughs> I'm thinking all kinds of things. So yeah, all, all kinds of things, all yeah. kinds of things. So, so Rachel, tell me, um, when did the these toxic things? Um, mm-hmm. we know that when a book comes to publication, it's already had a life of its own. Um, you yeah, know, sometimes two or three years. Yeah. Um, I, when did this book start for you? Well, parts of it started um, a long time ago. I I read a book called the I think it's the Geographer's Library, and the author did this cool thing with little like sketches in the book. I'm like, oh, I love that. I want to do that one day. But that was it was so long ago that you know I I didn't know how to do that. But writers, you know, we we stock things away. We're squirrels about to hit winter, so you know we have all these little acorns that we we look forward to trying out and so that part was a long time ago but this new part where uh, mickey is this digital scrapbooker and the things and all that stuff that was kind of newish that started kind of bubbling in my head right before the pandemic when it when it was just a small thing and people were kind of taking these moments to go through their closets because we're only going to be quarantined for two weeks. Right. Um, But it, it it was longer than two weeks and it was moving from Washington and radiating out. And, you know, I started thinking about the stuff I was finding in my closets and memories and just how my memory is different from your memory of that same memory. Um, I'm also getting older. I'm 51 and I'm going through my daughter's stuff. I'm going through my parents' stuff. And some things are questionable, you know? You, your parents, as they get older, they start telling you stuff. And right. some of the stuff you want to hear, some of it's like, oh, God, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I don't want to know why you don't speak to so-and-so. But I'm at that time of life where I'm right in between the sandwich generation, right, where yeah. you're dealing with your parents' stuff and you're dealing with your kids' stuff. So I wanted a story 
that captured um, what we all remember. Um, I wanted the arrested development type of character with Mickey. A lot of these um, Gen Y kids, millennial kids are still at home with their parents. And what does that mean uh, for memories, especially? So I, I wanted all that. And I was thinking about all that as the world was getting getting sick. And I was fortunate enough to get to tell this broad story and bring in an element that I wanted to, you know, to, to, to share from that book that I read so long ago and combine it all. And that's how I, I guess I tend to write that way. Something strikes me and something I read, which is why it's important why, you know, right? Sure. Writers must read all the time. But back then I didn't know how to do it and you have to learn how to do things before you can start with tricks. So I'm glad uh, Thomas and Mercer let me try out a trick and it worked. <laughs> well, and one of the great things about Thomas and Mercer is you get uh, you get some pre-publication um, uh, hype from them as, you know, they release the book to prime members and things like that. And yeah. I mean, the, the, the book is not when we're recording this isn't technically published yet yet you've got almost 2400 reviews already that's amazing yeah it's amazing and it's terrifying yeah I because bet. that thing that writers <laughs> always are you know fearful of i'm getting lots of it yeah so it's like I, I i wanted the exposure um i want it to broaden my readership and it's happening and it's wonderful and i can't wait until you know even more people have access to it in in different forms Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Rachel, you you published um, a series, uh, the yeah. Lou Norton series, and you're writing standalones um, primarily now for the last couple of years. Um, how do you uh, how do you think about those two? You know, with the with the series like the Lou Norton series, you have an established world. Mm -hmm. There there are certain characters that are already established when a reader comes to the new book and. Um, you know, there, there are rules in place that, right. that that not only for you as the writer, but for us as readers, when we come to, we know what to expect. With a standalone, all bets are off. You know, it's right. it's a whole new world, whole whole new characters. We, we don't know what to expect, and we don't know um, how safe uh, a character <laughs> is going to be. Um, <laughs> how, how do you feel about the the two different writing styles of writing a series? versus a standalone it was i i miss lou it was wonderful writing her adventures in los angeles and in some ways it was easier because i didn't have to start from the very beginning right. um, the city la was la it changed but you know our four seasons will remain fire blood you know <laughs> earthquake <laughs> those are things that yeah you know, we know exist and i try to um have Lou not be static. Every book she learns something and applies that and thinks about those things that she learned in those cases that she worked. So even though she was a series character, she was constantly changing and growing. Um, and my my standalones, it's like you just said, it's all new. And I like that freedom that uh, these new stories with these new women and the women and the people who surround them get to be less than noble. Lou was very noble. Um, she had faults, but she was an uh, upstanding woman. And my my standalones tend to have um, wifty, unreliable, sometimes unlikable 
very human qualities about them. And a lot of the stories that I, I've told in these now three standalones, I can't, I couldn't have done as well as I wanted with Lou. Um, these are definitely uh, other people's stories, not an LAPD homicide detective. So while I miss her um, and would like to one day get back to her, um, writing standalones have been, it's been freeing. And I have so many stories in my head that I want to get to, and they all have, you know, different types of women in them. So, yeah, I, 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 I missed in some ways because I'm very regimented. I get up at a certain time. I go to bed at a certain time. I do these things to make writing fit and series definitely helped with that. But, you know, while I'm an outliner, I also do like the freedom of going off the grid and exploring so i've 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 enjoyed both worlds but i'm i'm really loving this standalone world i, I really like it <laughs> authors i have a fantastic new service to tell you about it's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website your home on the web where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you PubSite is a website platform that allows every author regardless of budget to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Looking for a tool to help you visualize your story before the drafting begins? PlotPens is cloud-based and optimized for any device. There's nothing to download. From the new writer who isn't sure how to tell their story to the veteran who can increase their productivity dramatically, we've had experienced writers lay out a detailed structure for several novels in a series in a matter of a few days. The app takes you through four steps of the process. The concept or logline. Make sure you have a solid concept that you can keep coming back to throughout the process. The outline. Twelve beats and three acts. Each has a description of what should be happening with examples. The board. Forty cards. We take the 12 beats and add sub-beats to those, breaking it down even further and being very specific about what should go into each. These also have examples and descriptions. Write. 
We take those 40 cards and turn them into a to-do list. For a 50,000 word book, it's about two cards per chapter roughly. We have a beautiful editor built into the app. You can export your manuscript to a PDF anytime with the click of a button. Let Plot Pins help you visualize your writing project. Use code HANK10 to get 10% off Plot Pins. PlotPins.com Um, you you mentioned a minute ago uh, some of the things you were thinking about for these toxic things and and you know a little bit of the genesis of that. Um, but what I've noticed over the years, Rachel, is that um, while I think all writers like to play the what if game, mm-hmm. uh, maybe if you're sitting in traffic or something, you know, well, what if a character did this and then mm-hmm. another character did this awful thing? You know, what would reactions be? And then, you know, and you start kind of thinking out plot points, yeah. you know, like that. It's a game we all love to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've noticed over the the last several years, especially, is that I'm really interested in characters. And um, I'll think of sometimes I'll just be doing something completely random and a character will just walk <laughs> onto the stage of my mind. And and I'm like, well, who is this character and what are they up to? And yeah. and um, and. You know, some great story ideas have come out of that. Um, what what is that like for you? Um, do you or do you think about characters in that way, and then a story, you know, finds them, or are you more of a plot driven thinker? I am a character person too. I constantly watch people and collect um, characteristics and things they say and how they wear their hat. And, what kind of car they drive. I, I try and match people's cars to their personalities. So yeah, <laughs> characters and people, I they I hate them and I love them. You know, they're 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 loud, but they're they're interesting. And so I I like um, collecting them. But I also love characters in like random situations, which is probably why true crime has taken off as such a genre because you have these regular seeming people in these absurd, sometimes violent, weird situations. I mean, I think about, I'm listening to Dr. Death, the podcast, Dr. Death right now. And I wonder about myself, it's like, well, how many times do I Google my doctors to find out if they're sociopaths or not? Would I be that patient? Would, you know, what would I do? And so I, I tend to, you know, collect the character and then collect the situation. What would I do in this situation? Would I believe that person who's telling me lies? Would I see them as lies? Would I be okay with that? So, yeah, I I, I like people, but I also like the strange, random things we find ourselves in. Because, hell, we're in a strange, random thing right now. And we all <laughs> thought that we'd all rally and come together like we did in the movie you know, and we take the we take the pill and we'd be out in the streets waving the American flag because of victory. I mean, that's how Michael Bay wrote the movie. Right. Right. So exactly. Little did we know that we take a left and keep going left. And now here we are in the wasteland. So that's and that's one reason why it's like, well, the pandemic is going to find its way in in, in so many stories because we thought the story was going to go different. We really did. I mean, we again, we, we thought, oh, two weeks. Okay, well, it's still going to be hot girl summer. And little did we know, not only was it a <laughs> pandemic, but we had racial strife and we had 
all, you know, election stuff. It was just crazy. It's like the season finale of the season finale of the world. And right. who would have thought, you know, so well, yeah, well, 2020 <laughs> became a meme, you know, for the oh the God. worst possible outcomes, the worst possible outcomes. This is the worst group project ever. And so <laughs> we're all going to have to work that out creatively. Yeah. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what art comes out as we're still veering from place to place with now Afghanistan. You know, the world just keeps adding stuff. Right. And it's great material, but it's like, damn, can we just stop and have one of those flashback episodes where, right. you know, we just take the best of the, the, the cool episodes and make a new one? Right. I, I'm ready for a flashback episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> Jump so the Rachel, shark already, Irv. Jump right. the shark. Let's call this. Where's Fonzie <laughs> when you need him? Yeah, exactly. So, Rachel, tell me about Mickey Lambert, um, this character that we meet in these toxic things. Where where mm-hmm. did Mickey come from? And, and, and tell me a, a little bit about what you were thinking about this character. Yeah. Mickey is a combination of my now 17-year-old daughter and my uh, 26-year-old niece, who are both lovely young women who are smart, who are somewhat overprotected, um, but who are these very, they're dolphins. You know, they're, they're very helpful and smart and chipper and want to do the right thing, but sometimes they get caught up in someone else's drama. And so I wanted to capture that um, young Black woman just starting out in the world who are very, very much loved by her parents, by her family, who know that there are awful, awful things out there. So I wanted, you know, in a a coming-of-age story, it's set in Los Angeles with a woman who has some smarts and who's sexy and bright and vibrant but that actually attracts the worst in some people. So I wanted that. I wanted um, a young woman who's interested in other people's stories and oral histories. I mean, she is collecting and curating other people's memories for these like Alexa type devices, but she's also, you know, a collector of her mother's old stuff. Her mom, uh, has all these great clothes and handbags, and she loves wearing them and re, uh, you know appropriating all of them. And my daughter does that too. And Gen X, we're such a weird generation where yes, I'm a parent, but I'm also my you know my daughter's friend, and we share clothes and we go shopping. And Sephora is our you know third best friend, and <laughs> I wanted to capture that kind of mother-daughter relationship, which is different from my relationship with my mother, with the boomer generation. So I wanted all that with some romance and some race stuff in Los Angeles, dealing with gentrification, the shop that Mickey um, goes to for her client, Nadia. It's in this dying yet living, uh, resurrecting part of Los Angeles that burnt down during the 92 uprisings. So she doesn't really know this area, but her mother does. And so she takes what her mother, you know, told her, which is not a lot, and tries to, you know, have this whole project with this now dead woman. 
So it's discovery. It's about discovery and this young woman discovering this new world, a world she thought she knew, a world she thought she was prepared for because she, you know, she took four AP classes and was on the honor roll and she reads a lot and travels, but she knows nothing. So yeah, I, I, she, she, she is the young woman that I know and that I love and I fear for them because you know, growing up in Los Angeles in the 70s and 80s, it was a violent time. And while it's violent now, a lot of these kids, you know, they don't ride the bus like I used to. They don't, you know, their their siblings don't date the gangbangers like my sibling did. You know, it's a different kind of, I know how to reach my daughter at all times on a phone. You right. know, growing up for us, you leave for school, that was it until you came home, until your parent came home, because we all got home before our parents did. Because, oh, yeah. You know, latchkey generation. Oh, and yeah. what happened between those times? Lord knows. Oh, my God. You're oh, at yeah, the mall. I, I, you're at somebody's house. You know? <laughs> I, I tell my kids, uh, you know, about growing up in the 80s and, you know, oh. you left the house in the morning <laughs> and they were just like, well, good luck. <laughs> good luck. I love you. Here's some. Here's a dollar for 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 nutrition to get right. your coffee cake and warm milk, and that was that. that was I that. mean, I can't imagine sending my daughter off yeah. into the world with a dollar fifty, and and the dime in <laughs> the shoe, and that's it. And you trust the Lord or whoever to bring her back to you at the end of the day. So yeah, so this is a I wanted to capture. You think you know so much, but you know nothing, Jon Snow, kind of thing into right. into Mickey and her mom Corey. So Mickey um, creates digital scrapbooks uh, for yes. it, like you alluded to. That is very much a um, a, a millennial kind of uh, uh-huh. thing, you know, as a Gen Xer, <laughs> um, you know, like like you know who you know we were raised to you know, get a good job and, uh, you know, right. it, this, but our kids generation it is very much, uh, we put a lot of emphasis on living a creative life and, and yes. how, how can you make a living doing what you love? Right. Um, w- was that, uh, was that fun for you to connect to kind of this, this new generation way of thinking about survival for in, in the world? Yes, because I mean, even I'm in, I'm in the middle of, we just started college applications now and the majors that they've created for this generation are just incredible. The major that um, Mickey took at USC actually exists. It's like this narrative, narrative, creative, something, something that's your major. And wow. I mean, so yeah, their lives, even in college are different from ours, whereas, you know, I majored in English and American literature. That's it. So the, the, the jobs that are coming out, what's a digital, these jobs exist. The gig generation, you know, you right. stitch together five different jobs and that's your, that's the way you do things. And so I wanted that kind of, now what do you do with parents who are kind of, they kind of get it because they like some technology because our generation, we we straddle both analog and digital. So you're into it, but you're actually kind of making a living. Okay. That's probably why you're living still in my house kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I wanted her to have this cool new tech job with these cool new tech people in Silicon Beach. 
and still be unsettled and still don't know. You have all of this information at your fingertips and you still don't know some things because life is all the things. It's digital and analog and 4D chess and all the rest of it. And if you want to survive, you have to know how to live in all these worlds. And so while the stories that she's telling that she's uploading are very much digital, these memories and things that she is curating, these things are very um, analog. They're touchable. They're, they have blood on them. You know, they're very, very visceral pieces of memory that can't be digitized. And she's learning that these things just, you can't just upload a memory and have it be that. These memories are connected to you know, solid, solid things and not ideas. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, These toxic things is available everywhere now when you're hearing this. Uh, One of my favorite um, kind of edge of your seat reads uh, of this year. It's so much fun. Um, Thank you. And and we're going to put links to it in the show notes where you can grab it in Kindle edition or hardcover or audiobook. Um, have you heard any of the audiobook yet, Rachel? I have not. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting lost and forgetting that I wrote the story. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the most fun part, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I can't I wait. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, hopefully it's uh, when people are hearing this, it's available and they can go grab the audiobook as yes, well. Yes, it will be. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, support uh, support your local bookstores if you can. Go grab it. Um, if if you know your local store is uh, is not available right now, use the links in the show notes. Uh, Rachel, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? You can find me at www.rachelhowzell.com. So rachelhowzell.com. Excellent. We'll put links to that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Rachel, always fun catching up. We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of These Toxic Things. And uh, let's do it again soon. Yes, yes, yes. I love coming on. Thanks for inviting me again. Wargate Books presents Hit and Fade, Forgotten Ruin, Book 2, by Jason Onsbach and Nick Cole. Narrated for you by Christopher Ryan Grant. Chapter 1. The Army of the Dead walked straight into our ambush east of Fortress Hawthorne. That's what the FOB is called now, Fortress Hawthorne. Despite it being officially known as Forward Operating Base Hawthorne, as was originally intended when the 50 detachments of various special operations groups came forward through time from Area 51, a one-way mission to save Western civilization from a rampaging nano-plague destroying the very fabric of said civilization. Apparently, we overshot the temporal insertion point and stuck the landing. Sorta. About 10,000 years too late. Said civilization is now basically something straight out of Tolkien, or Dungeons and Dragons which we've all now gotten a lot more familiar with thanks to our resident expert and fledgling hedge wizard, the infamous P.F.C. Kennedy. But the rangers, 
Just call it the FOB. The first of our explosives to ruin the leading elements of the Army of the Dead advancing on us? Claymore mines the recaptured forge back at Hawthorne had cranked out in the weeks after we'd retaken it from King Triton? were fired by Ranger Sergeant Kang down there with the scouts and Captain Knifehand's assaulters. It was close to midnight when the front rank of bony warriors, carrying rotting shields and spears, eyes glowing malevolently in the deep night mist, advanced into our ambush, only to get ruined by the daisy-chained Claymore's sudden eruption. Above us, a cloud-shrouded moon cast a wan yellow light over the battlefield. The night was hot, and spring was coming on full now. The pilots who'd gotten us here in the grounded C-17 back at Ranger Alamo, using their meteorology skills, had guessed it was going to be a long, hot summer ahead of us, and an early one at that but there was a cold shiver in the dark on your exposed skin that you couldn't quite explain when you saw the dead advancing rank after rank. The bone warriors carrying spear and shield, other darker creatures barely seen. The lower areas of the earth were graveyard cool and misty, so maybe that was it. Still, the brutal, unrelenting cold of our almost last stand back at Ranger Alamo was gone now. But not the horrors. There wasn't a night that some ranger didn't wake up out of a tormented sleep, breathing heavy, sidearms scanning the dark and looking for orcs and ogres to ventilate. I was sweating in the hour leading up to the attack, despite the night and the mist. Kurtz had us humping hard to get the 240 and all its ammo up to the top of a small hill that overlooked the area where we'd channel the advancing echelons of the Army of the Dead into further fun and games the rangers had planned at a bend in a riverbed. If the approaching Army of the Dead continued on their current course track, they'd enter it for a brief period. It was decided by the captain we'd kill them there and I was sweating. Not because of fear, no, not at all. Firing, whispered Sergeant Kang over the calm as he detonated the mines, and eight daisy-chained claymores spat thousands of steel balls all across the front line of what even I was still finding it hard to believe I was seeing through my night vision device. Skeletons. Warrior skeletons. Ancient warriors like something out of the Bronze or Iron Ages. Worked breastplates of molded plate or rotting scales. Green and tarnished, stamped with the markings of fabled armies fallen in battles long, long ago. Leather cuirasses on some. Rotting boots. Helms with broken horns, missing teeth, tattered leather kilts. Beads and charms dangling from bone wrists. Enigmatic holy signs and primal torques black with grave dirt or from a funeral pyre long ago on some forgotten battlefield far from here, draped about the spine where the throat should be. Where it rises to connect to a bone-white skull that seems filled with malevolent purpose and diabolical intelligence. Malignantly so. 
walking skeletons like something out of a Ray Harryhausen clay model Sinbad epic from the 1960s. Above, the sliver of moon gave enough light to strengthen our NVGs, making the night vision devices perform exceptionally well as we sprang our trap and watched the advancing elements get rocked by our initial high-explosive opening bid in the game we were about to play. The air was still and hot in the moments before the fight began as we lay there in the tall, sharp grass, waiting for it all to go down. I was thinking a hot cup of coffee would be nice about now, except my canteen only had cold coffee I'd brewed during the long, silent, and windy afternoon of preparation. Still, I was happy knowing I had some, rather than none. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical, yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.